Welcome to the 5x Growth Podcast, where your host, Carl, brings you the best insights and takeaways from the books I read on startups, entrepreneurship, marketing, and sales. Get ready to level up and accelerate your personal and professional growth with every episode. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Hey everyone, so today we're going to continue our book, Why Startups Fail, and this is chapter 5, False Positives. Lindsay Hyde founded Baru, a pet care provider in mid-2014. Hyde's original concept for Baru was Bright Horizons for Pets, that is, pet care in an office setting. Her early customer research revealed low demand. Baru would rent out underutilized space in the basements of apartment buildings and offer pet daycare near people's homes. So this is the main idea of this startup. Hyde recruited a co-founder, Meg Reese, who had been chief operating officer at the first startup Hyde had founded. After raising $1.2 million from angel investors in February 2014, the co-founders launched their service at Inc. Block, a newly converted 315-unit luxury apartment building. Plan was to start small and once they achieved profitability, use those profits to fund further expansion. Baru offered a range of high-touch pet care services, including dog walking, grooming, feeding, in-home sitting, and play dates. Pet owners could book Baru's services using text, email, phone, or an off-the-shelf scheduling app that Hyde had licensed. To acquire customers, Baru did not invest in traditional paid marketing, such as Facebook ads, Instead, the startup relied on the marketing efforts of apartment building partners and on word-of-mouth referrals from existing customers. Buildings would distribute a welcome gift from Baru, a chew toy or leash, to new residents who owned pets. The team also hosted quarterly events for residents, such as Yappy Hours and Pet Halloween. Finally, building concierge staff would recommend Baru to residents. In exchange, the startup paid buildings a share of the revenue that it earned from their residents, averaging about 6%. Such revenue sharing is standard practice for service providers like cable TV companies that want access to residents. When Baru launched at Ink Block in South Boston, about 60% of the residents owned a pet. An impressive 70% of these pet owners used Baru's services. Hyde was thrilled with the strong adoption rate and took it to mean that high demand would be replicated with other apartment buildings. Unfortunately, she had fallen prey to our third failure pattern, the false positive. In the context of medical testing, a false positive, that is a testing result that shows that you have a disease when you really don't, 
can result in unnecessary and dangerous treatments along with lots of anxiety. In the context of startups, a false positive early success rates that appear more promising than they actually are can lead to expansion on a level that is not yet warranted. As it turns out, a false positive can be as harmful for startups as it is for patients. A false positive often stems from circumstances that inflate early adoption rates. In this case, Baru's initial blockbuster success was misleading due to three factors that were unique to the launch. We failed to see that this was a false positive signal. Let's talk about early success spurs expansion. So Hyde and the three angel investors who comprised Baru's board of directors now decided to rapidly replicate Baru's success in a second city, which they reasoned would help attract venture capital. In the summer of 2015, Baru expanded to Chicago, where it quickly signed up three buildings that had the same corporate parent as one of their Boston partners. Someone with training is accustomed to doing everything exactly as specified in the manual, but we didn't have a manual. A year after commencing operations in Chicago, Baru raised an additional $2.5 million in seed capital from new angel investors and small VC funds and launched in Washington, D.C., where they again signed buildings managed by national real estate companies with whom they worked in Boston and Chicago. Managing three locations stretched Baru's small team to the limit. Hyde commented, My co-founder Meg had done a spectacular job running operations up to this point, but Washington brought overwhelming new challenges. Despite this, in June 2017, Baru launched services in a fourth location, the New York City metropolitan area. To fund further expansion, the startup raised another $1 million from existing investors and venture capital firms that had expressed interest in later leading Baru's Series A round. Operations were bumpy too. With greater scale, it became difficult to deliver the personalized service that had delighted early customers. Scheduling was further complicated by the behavior of some care providers. Hyde had reasons that hiring them as employees paid by the hour rather than as contractors paid by the booking would make it easier to train providers to follow consistent process. As it turned out, that wasn't the case. Hyde came to realize that Baru's compensation approach could skew incentives. So an employee could spend time on easier, more pleasurable jobs, like playing with a cute puppy and then run late on other jobs, or maybe miss that last job of the day with an unfriendly dog. 
being paid by the hour. This had no impact on the employee's earnings. So our really good wo- workers sometimes ended up working 12 hours day, 12 hour days. We were shutting them all over the city and paying them hourly. We were burning out our best workers and burning through our cash. Reckoning and shutdown. At Baru's August 2017 board meeting, one of the company's original angel investors questioned Hyde's leadership and the startup's financial health. For the first six months of 2017, had earned revenue of $600,000, but had an operating loss of $800,000. And while management projected a 50% increase in revenue for the next six months, it forecasts an operating loss of $700,000. The board members were the board member was alarmed. The penetration rate, the percentage of pet owners in buildings that were Baru's customers, depended on how long the startup had served the building. Hyde noted that Baru's penetration rate was much higher with newly arrived residents than with tenants who already had a dog walker. In other words, Baru had to wait for tenant turnover to kick in. If you believe that line, if you believe that line of reasoning, then you probably figured that things could be okay in new markets in a year or two. But if you didn't believe that logic, you might see our margins deter- deteriorate with expansion and assume that our strategy was flawed. In the months that had that followed, board debate shifted to whether to try to sell the company. The preferred outcome for the disgruntled angel investor or to seek a series A round. In January 2018, with three months of cash remaining, the she approached potential merger partners. Three companies made offers but all of these deals unraveled and Hyde shut down Baru in February in February of 2018. Let's talk about resetting our expectations. In this case, the cause of failure was relatively clear. Baru had fallen victim to premature scaling. The false positive had led them to expand too rapidly and the startup simply didn't have adequate resources to operate successfully in four cities. Capital was in short supply, a small management team was stretched too thin, and they lacked technology for managing complex bookings. Despite the lack of such resources, the false positive signal at Inkblock gave Hyde the confidence to step on the gas too early. Baru's ability to serve customers successfully during Boston's wicked winter of 2015 had convinced Hyde that her tiny, scrappy team could, in her words, do anything. Morris proved that 
we'd found a strong unmet need than as competitors who challenged us in the marketplace. Rapid expansion into multiple markets exposed flaws in Baru's opportunity diamond. These flaws, these flaws weren't fatal. Baru's team probably could have avoided or resolved them had they focused their efforts on fine-tuning their model in Boston before expanding. Ability to provide high-touch service, for example, filling last-minute requests, was slipping as the startup scaled up. Attributes valued by the customers, but not by a wide enough margin to command a price premium over other pet pet care services. False positives are a problem because they give an entrepreneur undue confidence in a particular expansion path. False positives unfold in two ways. With both patterns, entrepreneurs mistakenly assume that the behavior of early adopters will be matched by that of mainstream customers. With the first pattern, an entrepreneur tailors a solution for early adopters, commits resources to the solution, and then learns that the solution doesn't meet the needs of the larger mainstream market. Without mainstream customers, the venture won't earn enough revenue to survive. By the time the entrepreneur recognizes the need to pivot, he has amassed resources of the wrong type and a cash-constrained startup lacks the wherewithal to replace them. The result? A variation on the bad, bad fellow theme. With a second pa pattern, an entrepreneur assembles resources to capitalize upon an opportunity. While pursuing this opportunity, he is surprised by the level of demand from early adopters and assumes that the demand from mainstream customers will also be strong. In response, he ramps up expansion plans. But as with the first pattern, the venture's original resources aren't suited for the new direction. So basically, let's talk about the founders. Should we blame the jockey for Baru's failure as CEO Hyde made a number of mistakes, but to her credit, when looking back, she recognized her flawed decisions and took responsibility for them. Oh, uh, so yeah, we discussed founders. Now let's let's discuss the team. Hyde had assumed that making care providers employees and paying them an hourly wage would confer loyalty and boost productivity. This, this expectation proved wrong. The company was investing too much in employees who didn't stay long. What about investors? Like Hyde, Baru's original angel investors also fell prey to the false positive signal and reconsidered their preferences about the venture's growth rate. And finally, the partners... So the partners, the building that Baru surf server provided, um, the buildings that Baru served provided less marketing support than expected. 
and some made unreasonable demands. If Baru had expanded at a more measured pace, its team might have been able to identify the attributes such as high tenant turnover that made some buildings better, better partners than others. Then they could have checked whether new buildings had these features before signing them up. But breadneck expansion meant foregoing a careful vetting process in favor of working with any building that expressed interest. Well, let's finally talk about avoiding false positives. If the root cause of false positive is misinterpreting signals about early adopters, then entrepreneurs should take two steps to obtain more reliable feedback. First, they should conduct early customer research that exposes any differences between likely early adopters and mainstream customers. Second, when entrepreneurs are pleasantly surprised by the by the false positive responses from early adopters after the venture has launched, they should consider the possibility that the broader market may not respond in the same way. How to stay alert to this possibility? It's important to generalize about the types of early customers that can generate surprisingly high demand, like those Baru encounter at ink block. By their unpredictable nature, they are black swans. Similarly, it's difficult to be disciplined enough to carve out the time, just as your startup is taking off, to determine whether you have a false positive. When a startup team has been taken aback by an unexpectedly strong response to their product's launch, they really should pause and ask what might be unusual about these early adapters. With respect to the first step, conducting early research to expose differences between early adopters and mainstream customers, the key is selecting the right sample. Convenience sampling, testing the waters with friends and family, often leads to false positive results because loved ones tend to adore your idea no matter what. Crowdfunding campaigns like the one Jibo ran on Indiegogo pose a similar hazard. Individuals who back such campaigns are often product category enthusiasts looking for bright, shiny new things and are e eager to, the to be first to sample them. The gold standard is explicitly testing a concept with both early adopters and mainstream customers. We'll see this in chapter 7, which profiles fab.com, an online retailer of home decor. Fab's early adopters were home design fanatics. They purchased from the site repeatedly and spread word of its offerings. Customers acquired later were interested in interior design too, just not as much. They bought less frequently and referred fewer friends to Fab. 
The result was an LTV CAC squeeze. As Fab grew, new customers were worth less, and with fewer word-of-mouth referrals, they, co- they cost more to acquire. Fab's founders fell, wi- fell, fell victim to a false positive signal, similar to Baru's. By assuming that strong demand from early adopters would carry forward to the next wave of customers. Yeah, strong demand from early adopters would carry forward to the next wave of customers. In other cases, early adopters have substantially different needs from mainstream customers. For example, early adopters may be demanding power users with advanced features requirements and an ability to self-service. They'll install or debug a new product that's still rough around the edges without having to rely on a startup's overstretched team for help. Mainstream customers, by contracts, may want a reliable, easy-to-use, no-frills product and lots hand-holding from a vendor's customer service staff. In this scenario, if a venture tailors its offering to the needs of early adopters, it may end up with a product poorly suited for mainstream customers. There are various options for overcoming this challenge, but for each, it's critical to know how the needs of early adopters and mainstream customers differ before commencing product development. One option is to optimize an offering for early adopters, then modify it over time to accommodate mainstream customers. A second option is to create separate products for mainstream customers and early adopters, say a pro version for the later. A final option is to tailor the startup's product to meet mainstream requirements but also make it sufficiently superior to existing solutions to appeal to early adopters, despite not meeting all of their needs. While well-structured research can reveal the needs of early adopters, entrepreneurs can still find it difficult to spot and avoid false positives. Why? because we are psychologically wired to see what we want and hope to see. This tendency makes it easy to misinterpret research results and early performance. Experience shows two more ways founders can be made vulnerable to false positives. The first is that unexpected success can be very seductive. Consider the quote from Hyde that opens this chapter. You land a big whale and they just drag you along. Hyde had modest goals for Baru initially, but when her venture exceeded them right from the start, she couldn't resist setting more ambitious objectives. Despite being dragged by a big whale, Hyde wasn't the obsessed Ahab who had been searching for Moby Dick. She came across the whale. So, in this metaphor, the whale is a success unexpectedly, only to find she had a taste for expansion. Her trajectory was more like that of Michael Corleone in The Godfather. Michael's initial ambitions are modest. 
to stay out of the family business and implicitly, implicitly remain moral. But when his father barely survives, survives an assassination attempt, it is surprisingly Michael who avenges him, and he does so brilliantly, with a gun he hides in a restaurant bathroom. Michael becomes head of the family and is really good at vanquishing his enemies, becoming the mafia boss of New York City. But this success costs him both his morality and a real loving family. A second vulnerability concerns the importance of founders understanding their own goals. Yeah. Well, that's that's it for chapter 5. Uh, and then basically this was the first part for early stage startups. And then there is a second part, basically t- uh, 6 chapters, 7, 8 and 10. And that's more for late stage startups. And late stage startups are defined here as ventures that are five years old or more and a series S or beyond if they're if they've raised venture. So this is not something that I'm interested in. I'm more interested in early in early stage startups and their kind of failure patterns. Um, so if you want, if you're, if you're a late stage startup, maybe you should get the book, why startups fail and just read the remaining section. Uh, and maybe it's going to be helpful. That's all for today's episode of the 5X Growth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. For show notes and more, visit our website at 5xgrowth.com. Until next time, stay focused and keep growing.